tackle for loss. He's their best defensive line. That pass is intercepted and returned for the touchdown. It's John Robinson. How about the hands of the big fella? Play action. We'll start this drive. And so will the sack. And it's big Damon Harrison coming through. Now Rodgers in trouble. Getting hit. Falls on the ground. It is free in the line. The gun. Detroit football at the 29-yard line of Green Bay. Coming out of there is Deshaun Hand. He's got the football. And he's the one that charred it loose. Rookie, that is big. That is so big. All right, everybody. It is the most anticipated podcast episode of the Back Judge season the entire year. Potentially also just my favorite thing that I do with uh, with the Back Judge with my friend Lee Murray. How are you doing over there? I'm doing great. Happy to be here, Clap, as always. It's, of course, the Lions preview special. We are the Back Judge with a blatant, obvious Detroit Lions bias, and this is where it shows, man. We give almost a whole hour to... Uh, to the Detroit Lions, and uh, this year we're twenty one year olds. We some and, men, and we have ourselves. What do you want? What do you want to? You want to uh, tell the audience what what we have in our hands? We give give a quick plug to Victory Brewing Company over in Downingtown, Pennsylvania. They do great work, and if my good friend Adam and I, similar to, correct me if I'm wrong, the summer of two thousand sixteen was it seventeen? I think it was twenty seventeen, perhaps. Going down to Latrobe, Pennsylvania, to watch the Lions' joint tra- training camp practice against the Pittsburgh Steelers over there in, in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. If we ever find ourselves ourselves traversing through the mountains of Pennsylvania, we'll be making sure to take a stop in Downingtown, Pennsylvania, grab ourselves some victory. I'm having a sour monkey right now. Clap a golden monkey. We're ready to get after and, it right now. We're some legal dudes. Uh, on that note of the the famous training camp trip. Do you have the picture of you and Chuck Wash? I do. Uh, I think that could be the uh, picture that goes up with this episode on the website. So if you just, you, I would you be just want to send that over, make that the phone. featured image. You are, Salt pride, baby. And, and you know what? He's still on the when roster. They put, when they put me he's in still the dirt, on the roster. Baby. He, he's still here. <laughs> just like the back judge, he's still here. He ain't going nowhere. Um, so basically what we're going to do is just give you everything Lions, and that basically just starts with where the season ended last year, unfortunately, in December. And I went back and listened to last year's podcast. I went and uh, read my article on the back judge just after the preseason ended last year and gave my thoughts, and I was somewhat on the ball. I mean, I didn't predict playoffs for this team last year. Uh, In my article, after seeing all four preseason games, I said 8-8 and for this team. Ended up being six and ten. It was kind of a rougher year, honestly, than I think anyone really expected. But I don't think I disagree with any of the moves that they made so far in the offseason. Sure, they could have made. I don't want to. I don't. I don't mean like that. More is just like I, I see somewhat of the vision that they're they're trying to uh, put together here, and I, I think they made steps forward. I shouldn't have said I don't. Because I, I disagree with some of the moves, and we'll get into that. But I believe that they made steps forward this year, and that mainly starts kind of with the hire of Daryl Bevel on the offensive side, who we'll get into in a minute, uh, and also with the signing of Trey Flowers. Trey Flowers didn't really get signed for an unbelievable amount of money at something around 16, 17 uh, yearly salary, and he's a guy that Patricia would really value. He's a person who plays on the edge. Um, can play on the inside a little bit as well on those. Uh, There's a rapport there. Yeah, as well, exactly. Obviously in New England. So 
uh, that was their main splash uh, in free agency that they made. And it was it was one of the bigger signings in, in the league. And to me, I still think that this team, despite their issues over the past you know decade almost, can still attract high-quality free agents. Yeah, absolutely. I also think that the signing of Justin Coleman, just to add, was overlooked by a lot and maybe – a few Lions fans, including myself somewhat, were kind of, it was kind of a head scratcher. You were looking at that signing, kind of thinking, what direction are we really trying to go with this signing? And uh, what does this move necessarily mean? But after kind of doing the requisite amount of research, you find out that Justin Coleman's a pretty valuable player. And there's definitely, Clep, you kind of touched on it. There's definitely a vision here, I think. It's not like just some haphazard, this guy's good, I think we're going to sign him type of thing where they're trying to, you know, um, get get the fan base hyped or get, you know, kind of flex their muscle, the brass, so to speak. But I think it's more of a direct vision that Patricia has and that it's it's taking a little bit of a while to turn out. But I think that similar to what you said, I don't really disagree with any of the moves they've made based on the fact that they all seem uh, to be according to this to this vision that I'm talking about that Patricia and, and, and Quinn seem to have. And we're going to get into Bevel, and Lee has some nuggets from his Warren Sharp football preview that he's going to share. But I'm just going to do a quick referendum on what was the career of Jim Bob Cooter as the offensive coordinator in Detroit. Somewhat of a, a high rise and a far fall for, for JBC. And kind of what I have figured out, I guess, is that I think Jim Caldwell had a lot to do with Jim Bob Cooter's early success. Jim Caldwell has been an offensive coordinator all of his life, was an offensive coordinator um, you know, in, in Baltimore before he came to Detroit. And I just think once Matt Patricia came in the building, he, Bob Quinn was somewhat hesitant to get rid of uh, Jim Bob Cooter as, Matt, or as Matthew Stafford and the offense had performed fairly well under uh, his direction. But I just think once Cooter became the smartest offensive guy, so to speak, or supposed to be the smartest offensive guy in Allen Park, uh, that it all fell apart a little bit. And I think you also saw last year is that Stafford doesn't quite have the mental football capacity that guys like Drew Brees or Phillip Rivers or these elite quarterbacks have. I think he's an incredible game you know, quarterback. All of his teammates love him. I think he's incredibly talented, but I do think that there is somewhat of a mental aspect lacking because he's also, you know, the number two guy in, in that in that facility, along with Jim Bob Cooter. And some of the play calls that they were doing last year, just, you know, motioning receivers in and it was always a running play or screen plays on third and long. They were just ridiculous. And as as a twenty year old dude, you know, watching these Lions games, I can like predict 50% of the time what the play is going to be. And that's just not, not good. And it even shows in games like against the Jets that, you know, the team is calling out what plays the Lions are going to run and, and things like that. So I just think getting Cooter out and letting him, you know, go off on his way and, you know, take some lessons learned, but then bringing in a guy like Bevel, who has been an offense coordinator in the year league for eight years. He was offensive coordinator in Minnesota, offensive coordinator in Seattle and was the offensive coordinator of a team that won a Super Bowl. I think that's just a huge step up. He's a guy that can mentor Stafford and kind of knows his place in the league where Jim Bob Cooter was kind of like trying to figure out who he was as a person on his own. So uh, what do you kind of have on Bevel here, Lee? 
I got my nickname for Daryl Bevel is Daryl Dark Horse Bevel because Ooh. this man very well could be the light for this team. He could be the offensive guru, so to speak. And, and I'm not even saying he has to do anything that radical or cutting edge to do this, but just in terms of consistency and having an identity on offense that he proved he could do with a great quarterback in Russell Wilson with the Seahawks a few years ago. Having an identity on offense, bringing that comfortability to Stafford and, and kind of his experience to the table that you noted on Jim Bob Cooter didn't have, this guy could be the dark horse that could change the Lions from being kind of in the middling pack of mediocrity that they've been over the past few years and kind of push them into the playoff conversation. I truly believe that this guy is, 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 is as worthy of a football mind enough to be able to do that. And you, you, uh, you gave a little foreshadowing to the, the Warren Sharp preview. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spit out some advanced. These are some offensive advanced metrics uh, courtesy of Warren Sharp on the Lions 2018 offense. And get ready to hear this. might hurt your ears, Clef. But red zone, red zone offense, 23rd of 32 in the league. Third down offense, 25 of 32 in the league. Yards per pass attempt offense, 25th of 32 in the league. Offensive efficiency, 23rd of 32 in the league. Pass efficiency on offense, 22nd uh, of 32 in the league. Rush efficiency on offense, 25th of 32 in the league. Explosive pass offense, 28th of 32 in the league. Explosive run offense, 22nd of 32 in the league. If you're paying your quarterback top three money in the league, these are not the numbers you want to be seeing. And I know Stafford had the back issue last year. I'm, I see that kind of as an excuse because he played. If you're playing, you better be better than the guy behind you. And that wasn't necessarily the case last year because these are not numbers that are going to get you anywhere near a playoff position. And this is why I think Daryl Bevel can be so much of a dark horse is because if him and you, we, we all know Stafford's talent is there. I agree with you on the mental side of it, but the arm is there. The experience is there. The ability is clearly there. If Bevel can, can come in and kind of ignite the flame that, you know, has kind of been burning at, a, at an inconsistent low level that, you know, Stafford really hasn't reached the, the ability of the $30 million deal that he signed. And I'm not saying that, you know, I expected him to right off the bat be, you know, an all-star quarterback when he signed that deal. But the clock is kind of ticking. Like, I know it's not the end for him. He's not in his mid-30s or anything. But there's, there's a window here, and we're in it right now. And there's, there's a reason why they were scrambling for a guy like Daryl Bevel. And I think that they really got their guy with him. So I just want to emphasize that he really can be this dark horse guy. I think I really also love the rotation of running backs that the Lions have this year. After getting C.J. Anderson and drafting Ty Johnson, the speedster from Maryland, I think in the sixth round of the draft, to put behind Carrion, now the whole burden isn't on Carrion. We know Carrion can be a bell cow, but the, the onus isn't on him to be the 90%, 95% producer out of the backfield. We can give carries to C.J. Anderson, a veteran, or Ty Johnson, the rookie, or even Zenner still in the mix. I don't know if he's going to be uh, doing open heart surgery this fall or if he's going to be playing for the Lions, but... Just more power to the rotation if he's playing, playing for the Lions. And, you know, like I've said multiple times, it kind of all comes down to Bevel. And I just have a lot more faith that Bevel's going to be able to put these pieces together and make things work than I obviously did with Cooter. And that really excites me. That opens a door that hasn't really been opened in Detroit offensively for a while. 
So I have a few more notes kind of on Stafford and also the running back stable, as you kind of alluded to in that beautiful monologue about Dark Horse Bevel. But I have a few more just closing notes on just Bevel as a whole and what you can kind of expect to see from our offense this season. And that's everything I've heard from people. I've read a bunch of articles from Seahawks reporters kind of talking about what they saw as an offense as a whole and also just a few quotes from Bevel that I've seen uh, put out from the Detroit media so far this offseason and kind of going to training camp. And that's that you can expect to see a lot of power running, uh, so a lot of play action, and then also kind of a lot of deep shots, um, which I'm kind of excited about because I think Cooter really got away from that last year, utilizing Stafford's long arm. And I also think some of that had to do with some of the receiver injuries that they dealt with late into the season. Uh, but overall in Detroit, you're going to expect to see a lot of ground and pound with Carrion Johnson and some of the backs that Lee kind of mentioned earlier and also some deep shots from Stafford. And I'm really looking kind of forward to what this offense can do. And even just personally, my favorite type of offense is just ground and power running game, man blocking, power running. I Literally the last 10 years of my Lions fandom, I feel like I've seen these zone blocking, slow developing run plays that always just seem to get blown up or guys get stuck for negative two-yard losses. Just years of job at best draw plays under Jim Schwartz come to mind when, when talking about that. So... Definitely in terms of coaching staff, uh, an exciting hire, in my opinion. Uh, I think he was, in, like you are saying, dark horse, a really just under-the-radar guy, offensive coordinator that no one was really talking about as he took a year off from football last year just to kind of catch his breath, I suppose, and you know maybe put a few new wrinkles into his, his game plan. So uh, I think that's just going to be really, uh, really exciting to see what that starts to look like, even starting with the first uh, few preseason games coming up here in about a week. So... Uh, definitely a lot of things exciting on the offensive side of the ball. And let's just stick there and, and go start going so through some of these positional previews. And I guess it all starts with the quarterback room. And Matt Stafford is still the quarterback of this football team. There was a ton of talk this offseason. Oh, can we trade Stafford? What would that be like? And that just was never an option. Not only, in my opinion, just due to the ability that he brings but also just because of the, the money issues that you would bring with trading him, it would be something like a $50 million cap hit. And even with like a first pick in the draft, that's the type of money issue that you can't really uh, get around, even as a general manager. Uh, but anyways, it, there was even talk about Drew Locke in the second round, and we never even really got to see that happen with the Lions on the clock with Drew Locke in the second round. But you know, no young quarterbacks brought in. This is still very much Stafford's team. Uh, and, you know, we, we've talked about the back, the broken back that he supposedly suffered towards the end of last season, and I think that definitely can contribute to some of the issues that we saw uh, with his game last year because he definitely wasn't the same quarterback that we have seen in years prior. But at the same time, the Jets game still exists in, in my mind, prominently, and a game that he was horrible in, and I think he threw about three picks, never looked right and that was just kind of the storyline the whole year is that you know while he was making you know certain throws at certain points in the game you didn't see the fourth quarter comeback heroics you didn't see that consistency all game uh, that you saw from him maybe in years like 2017 or 2016 and, and that was really frustrating to see frankly and I, I I do in my you know lion's heart but also a little bit in my brain I want to attribute that a lot to Jim Bob Cooter uh, because I really just think he wasn't fit for the position that he was given. 
And so I really am willing to give Matt Stafford uh, this next season under Dale Bevel um, with the second year running back with a better offensive line. But I do think I need to see something a little bit more from him, whether it be a more a bigger competitive fire, uh, whether it just be a more command uh, of what he's doing out there. Uh, but, it, I mean, this is a big year for Stafford regardless of, of kind of what happened last year. Yeah, I I don't know. Like I kind of said earlier, um, the clock is definitely ticking, and I really would like to see Stafford kind of grab this team by, by the horns a little bit more and, and really lead them to being just a little more assertive as a team. And, you know, I think that I don't want to, you know, jump the gun and get into the schedule too much, but I'll get into it later with the road games on the Lions schedule this year. I think a lot of the ability to win road games comes down to your quarterback and his ability to, you know, obviously winning games comes down to the quarterback, but just being able to fight through the controversy of being on the road and being able to keep a level head and keep the team focused on the main goal and moving the needle forward, pushing the pile, so to speak. And I just think that's something that we've seen bits and pieces from, uh, or bits and pieces from Matt Stafford doing, but it's not something that we've really seen consistently, and it hasn't really bred a lot of success in Detroit since he's been the quarterback, especially not in terms of playoff success. And I think that now is absolutely the time where Stafford needs to take that next step in terms of uh, you know being able to, to push the pile, move the needle, and really make this team chug along like the unit that you know uh, they, they can be with a quarterback like him under center. So... I, you know, there's not really much to talk about. We know who Stafford is. It's not like he's going to come out and be a different player next year. But I really would like to see, at this point in his career, him kind of turn the page as a leader and be able to really, uh, you know, be the be the face of this team that you know Detroit fans have kind of expected them to be since he was drafted. And by that I mean going to the playoffs and being, you know having someone fear that you're on their schedule, you know, and I don't, I don't see why that's, you know, an unrealistic thing in Detroit. And I think that, like I said earlier, this is the year really where we can, you know, make that change or Stafford can make that change specifically. And I mean, as far as what's behind him on the depth chart last year was Matt Castle. So that was an absolute lost cause. If Stafford missed any time, this year, slight upgrades with the additions of Tom Savage and David Fales, who both have, I mean, Tom Savage famously started over Deshaun Watson in a, in a week one 2016 Houston Texans game, or and uh, that didn't go well, but uh, he beat him out in camp. <laughs> so, but I mean, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, just like last year, this team's absolutely screwed if Stafford goes down. I mean, it, absolutely screwed, so. Uh, probably fair to fair to leave it at that, right? Yeah, I don't think there's too much more to say. I guess maybe I would have liked to see this team draft a quarterback in the fifth round, maybe just for a little bit of insurance. But at the same time, you know that's not a great philosophy to go to. We've seen teams like the Steelers kind of do something like that, and it even usually the Giants. just results. Yeah, usually exactly. It usually just results in you wasting a later round pick. So, you know, I'm not going to sit here and complain about it, but I am. I'm not the right guy to be asking at this on the same note because I I really just am not a Tom Savage guy. I don't I, <laughs> I, I don't I don't like him. I don't so. I don't imagine there's many Tom Savage guys in the world though either. I'd You're imagine most right people that. on this planet are not Nine, Tom yeah. Savage guys. <laughs> I'm like um, an extra well, not Tom Savage guy. 
Let's uh, jump over to the offensive line where not much has changed from last year other than the fact that TJ Lang has retired, is no longer on the roster. He's actually joining the Lions radio coverage, which oh, wow. is, is kind of interesting. Game day radio kind of yeah. guy. I saw him at Big Ori Pizza right before my allergic reaction yep. to the pistachio pesto pizza. But uh, – <laughs> <laughs> it was time. For, it was time. A little, for a little less of a, uh, a little less of a whimsical experience as the Zingerman Stafford encounter oh, yeah. was, or maybe even the the Calvin Johnson mobile uh, experience from from a few years yeah, back. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, thank you, Calvin. But all due respect we'll to T.J. Lang, but they don't even. There's no comparison. There's there's, there's no, no comparison. <laughs> or or the the, the infamous. Uh, Glover, Glover Quinn at Jersey yeah. Mike's Big Kahuna Cheesesteak. That's a I classic. Mean, it's, it's a classic, <laughs> classic encounter. <laughs> but uh, again, we'll go back to this offensive line where not much has changed from last year. I mean, they didn't even spend a draft pick on this line. Uh, they, they signed up some uh, undrafted free agents such as Bo Benz Schwawell. I think is, I don't oh, know wow. how you would pronounce that last name, Bo but ben, he's, a, he's a Wisconsin man. Ben Schwawell, yeah. So, uh, you know, he's brought-fed, spotted cow drank. Yeah. Uh, man, going to come in and compete for a guard spot. But other than that, I mean, TJ Lang isn't a big loss because, frankly, the last two years he was just not good. And that was an unfortunate kind of Quinn signing that just didn't work out quite the way that anyone expected it to. He just dealt with injuries his last two seasons in Detroit and loved the team, big supporter of the team, big supporter of the city, hometown guy, obviously, but just – Never really meshed, I guess. Um, and now I, I think the offensive line is in decent shape. Ricky Wagner, right tackle, he's been underwhelming as a free agent signing. Uh, he was, I think, you know, when they signed him, he became the one of the highest paid right tackles in the league, and he just hasn't really performed uh, to that level, in in my opinion. Frank Ragnow, though, I thought had a, had an awesome rookie year, and from some offensive line people I follow on Twitter. Uh, they're really excited about his future, and uh, there was no signs to me that he isn't built for the league. And I think, especially considering the Lake and Tomlinson draft pick, when you could just clearly see that he wasn't he wasn't meant to be playing on Sundays, but I guess he's meant to be in San Francisco. But but Taylor Decker's a really good left tackle. Graham Glasgow, I'm going to be interested to see whether or not they want to start Frank at, at center because that's what he played at Arkansas, and I think potentially. Moving Glasgow back to guard and Ragnow to center could be a mini upgrade at both of those positions. Um, so, and we'll see, and we'll see who wins that right guard spot. It's, I mean, it's going to be a competition between uh, Kenny Wiggins, who was uh, kind of uh, a signing in the off season, and also guys like Joe Dahl, who has been drafted in the later rounds. Uh, Tyrell Crosby was a later round pick last year, who is kind of the guy that Con- at least Connor and I really want to. He started that guard position, but they may want to keep him as a swing tackle type of uh, depth player, which isn't, I think, the worst idea, especially seeing guys like Vitae in, in Philly uh, fill in for spots and, and stuff like that. But uh, that's kind of the only spot on this line that's a question mark is that is that vacant guard spot for me. Yeah, absolutely. I really would like to see Tyrell Crosby kind of just give the coaching staff no choice but to start him at guard with how good he he plays in camp, but that could just be kind of a wishful thinking. But I also want to point out that, like you said, no no offensive lineman drafted, but also, I mean, the first pick in the draft for them was TJ Hawkinson, who's a tight end who can really get after it. 
in the in the in the blocking game, and then Isaac Nada in the seventh round, another guy who definitely won't be getting the same amount of snaps as Hawkinson, but a dude who can block. These guys can definitely help out the offensive line, and you know I don't think it would be that much of a stretch to say that T.J. Hawkinson is about as close as you can get to drafting a lineman without drafting a lineman. That guy is going to be blocking a lot this year. He's going to be a huge a huge part of the rush offense. So I think that that's kind of like a secret upgrade to the offensive line right there. Um, and obviously signing Jesse James as well. Really bolstering the tight end position uh, this offseason helps the offensive line a lot. Yeah, and I mean, even if we want to just segue into these tight ends, I, I was the signing of Jesse James was one that I, I liked a lot. I think even last year, too, I kind of got suckered into the Luke Wilson signing, thinking that he could be you know, a serviceable tight end. And even as you know, Stafford's entire career, they've never really had a great tight end at that position. So I kind of thought they were just signing Jesse James and that was going to be it. Uh, but, you know, drafting TJ Hawkinson, uh, I, you know, I think in Sealy too, it definitely took the wind out of that draft party a little bit with, with our boy Devin Bush and even, you know, a secondary guy, Ed Oliver, still on the board. But I, I think you can still explain why TJ Hawkinson was the pick. And the reports, at least coming out of training camp, Super early. There's only been a few practices, but they're really, really positive, saying that he's a huge part of the passing game. And T.J. Hawkins one was a great blocker at Iowa. So I think it's just, and we could even get into this too when talking about cutting Theo Riddick. But I think there's been a large move also on the offensive side of this ball to become more versatile because in past years it's been like, okay, if Matthew Mulligan's in the game, then it's a running play, and if Ebron's in the game, then it's a passing play. And when you bring in guys like Jesse James, TJ Hawkinson, these guys are, you know, they add a level of um, confusion to the defense because they have to account for them as blockers. But then if it's a passing play, they also have to consider them as, you know, very serviceable receivers. And in the case of Hawkinson, I think he has a chance to be more than serviceable as a receiver, but actually a threat that defensive coordinators look to um, stop. And so I, I think that's been a big kind of advantage that that they've decided to just overhaul this entire tight end room. And I don't think it should be overlooked that Logan Thomas is here too. And, you know, he's a guy who converted quarterback, has bounced around the league a little bit. But, uh, I mean, who knows? I think he and Nada are going to – yeah, him and Nada, I think, are going to be competing for that third tight end spot. Obviously, too, Nada could be a guy that they option to the practice squad and they keep Thomas up on the active roster – and I, I just think that this tight end room is looking a heck of a lot better than it was last year, rolling in with guys like Levine Toilolo and Luke Wilson, expecting those dudes to be contributors on offense. When in, in reality, the tight end literally last year was a, not even zero, but negative effect on, on the offense. Yeah, I mean, well, to push back a little bit, it better be looking good if you're going to spend the eighth pick yeah. in the draft on TJ Hawkinson. And this is a hill that I'm somewhat willing to die on. I don't think that... I think T.J. Hawkinson's a really good football player. I think that he's going to make the Lions a better team. But at the same time, Devin Bush was on the board, and I'm sticking to my guns. I think Devin Bush would be a better addition, and we'll get into the linebackers later in this episode. But yeah. I think that there's still definitely a hole there, and this this tight end room better be one of the better tight end rooms in the league because there was an eighth pick spent on, on T.J. Hawkinson, and I can't really remember off the top of my head, but I think that's the highest a tight end has been drafted since Vernon Davis back in – 2006 or 2007, I think. So this is this guy better be coming in and, and, and making. And, and you Vernon know, Davis was a heck of a player. He was, he was, and and, and T.J. Hawkinson better be making a similar impact right off the bat. Exactly. You know, because this is a guy that we 
there's a lot of capital has been invested in him. So I have no complaints about the tight, the tight end room. I mean, I, again, the that pick definitely took the wind out of out of our sails as a collective, and it 100% has grown on me since then. But at the same time, I'm I'm going to call it how I see it and say. Yeah, the, the tight end room better be looking good. It is looking good, and you know we'll get into the linebackers later. But I'm I'm excited to see Hawkinson play. I really am. And let's stick between the hash marks and just go to that running back room that we kind of talked about very you know earlier in the show. And I'm really excited about Carryon Johnson this season. I am really really excited about him this season. And I think that last year, Jim Bob Cooter could not manage a running back room. You, you saw him going with carry-on in certain situations. And then when we got on the goal line, it just had to be LeGarrette Blount. It had to be LeGarrette Blount. And when it was third down, it had to be Theo Riddick. And I think carry-on Johnson can do a lot more than he was allowed to do last season. I really do. There was a few plays I even remember from last season, splitting out wide as wide receiver, running routes. Uh, He can catch out of the backfield. He's a good pass protector. And I I just think that you can really – I'm expecting, honestly, carry-on Johnson to be a three-down back in the NFL. I really think he has that in him. And to talk about the recent release of, of Theo Riddick, and we'll talk about the addition that they made along the defensive line in accordance with that release, but Theo Riddick, I love him to death. He was a great lion. Uh, he had some of my favorite moments as, you know, juking Donnell Ellerby of the Saints out of his shoes. Uh, he, he was just a, a great, you know, his catch against the Dolphins uh, to, to win that game, I think, back in 2016, 2016 season uh, was, was a great moment for me. But at the same time, Theo Riddick, was a kind of a guy who made the offense appear to be one-dimensional. He couldn't really run between the tackles. When he was in the game, you knew it was a passing play. And I think his departure kind of leads to more snaps for guys like Carryon Johnson, for guys like C.J. Anderson, and even opportunities for Ty Johnson, the rookie, and Zach Center to, to show up. So uh, I'm excited for what this running back room can do, and, and more specifically, really excited about Carryon Johnson's prospects for 2019. Yeah, I think the running back room is absolutely improved. I don't think I'm as excited about Carrion as you are. I'm definitely excited about him. But to be quite honest, I don't think that this group of running backs really jumps off the page to me. I don't think that anyone's really necessarily going to take over. And I think that a lot of it is, is going to be is going to kind of come more down to play calling into offensive schematics than it is to outright talent. Um, you know, I think a lot of teams have good running backs. You know, if you look in the division, you know, the, Vi- the Vikings have Dalvin Cook. The Bears, you know, they got David Montgomery and they signed, you know, Mike Davis and they got Tariq Cohen. Packers have their little duo with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, which isn't great. But I don't think the Lions are ne- necessarily separate from any of those teams in terms of talent in the backfield. But like I said, alluded to earlier when we were talking about Daryl Bevel, I love the fact that they brought in C.J. Anderson as a vet who really kind of had a career resurgence last year with the Rams. And then carry on, man. I don't know if I'm as excited about him as you are, but I totally agree with the statement that he can be a three-down back in this league. I think the guy's capable. I don't necessarily think you can split him out as receiver. I don't think he's that capable in the passing game. Um, But at the same time, I think he can play the role of a bell cow. I think he can play the role of a goal line back. I think he can be a pass catcher when when it's called upon of him, not when it's you know drilled, try to be drilled into him maybe. But but you know I, I'm not I'm not disappointed by the running back room whatsoever. I think it's a definite upgrade from last year. But again, it comes it comes down to Bevel and the way he's going to utilize these three or maybe four guys. That's really going to determine how effective they're going to be. And. When Bevel has been the offensive coordinator in Minnesota, he had Adrian Peterson. When he was offensive coordinator in Seattle, he had Marshawn Lynch. Not to say that, oh, 
Kieran Johnson is going to be like those two players, but you would have to think that Bevel had some sort of role in the maturation of those two guys, in the ability of those two guys, and, and that just makes me more excited about his his potential, and also that Bevel really values that kind of power running scheme that I think Carrion can be really successful at. So uh, that's yeah. kind of where, where I'm coming from. I agree with that. I think being excited that running back, yeah, yeah, Carrion is definitely like a quintessential power run scheme back who can surprise you with his athleticism and his ability to catch mm-hmm. up in the backfield. Uh, so let's uh, let's jump over to one of the thinner position groups uh, on this team, and that's that's wide receivers. And basically, for me, this this group kind of comes down to can Marvin Jones stay healthy, and can Kenny Galladay be the number one option on an NFL football team? And last year, Golden Tate got traded away. Marvin Jones was hurt. This whole unit was kind of in flux. There wasn't much going on. So I'm really kind of excited for them to have a fresh start this year where all these guys seem to be coming in uh, fresh and ready to go. Also, the addition of Danny Amendola in the offseason. While I don't know if I can expect him to play more than nine games maybe because he has an injury history, it, it doesn't hurt is, is, I guess, my takeaway from that. And I would say, too, the, the addition of TJ Hawkinson – uh, also maybe alleviates my, although valid, concerns about the lack of depth on, on the receiver side. I think that TJ Hawkinson can have a legitimate effect as a pass catcher on this team. So for me, I don't know. I have no idea if, I mean, whether or not Marvin Jones stays healthy is just arbitrary. It, it's either going to happen or it's not. Uh, he's a guy who has received for 1,000 yards in his career. Him and Galladay did receive for 1,000 yards in, in the same season last year. Um you know, Galladay is a guy who has definitely flashed and, and more than flashed even, you know, shown himself as a, as a consistent wide receiver. But I don't know if he's necessarily the consistent game-to-game threat that um, I hope he can be. And and other than, you know, maybe Brandon Powell, who had some decent games in the end of last season, but it's still, you know, questionable whether he'll make the roster. There's not much behind these guys. And I know you were kind of hyping Jermaine Curse before the show as a potential depth guy. I know Tommy Lee Lewis is there, but none of these guys are – maybe you can expect more than 300, 400 yards from them. I think you said it in the first five seconds between Jones's ability to stay healthy, and we've seen two years of Kenny Galladay. We saw a lot of splash in his rookie year. We saw a little bit of injury, and then we saw him improve last year too. And if he can continue on that pace of improvement, he's going to be an elite receiver within the next couple seasons. And if he can make that step, I think, mark my words, if Kenny Galladay can make that step to be the consistent elite receiver we hope he can be, there are zero concerns in this receiver room for me, but I'm not necessarily convinced he can make that step right now. And I think when it comes to Danny Amendola, it's more of a guy who can come up in big clutch situations as a slot receiver. He's kind of maybe a poor man's Julian Edelman a little bit. He lightens up the receiver room a little bit. With He's got a lot of experience. He's friends with Patricia. He brings that kind of lunch pail mentality. And I think that's kind of what he's going to do. I mean, I don't think Danny Amendola has ever been added to a team and made them any more necessarily of a contender than they were before. But I just think it's a guy who's level-headed in the locker room and is just kind of going to bring that experience and uh, day-to-day work ethic to the to the receiver room that hasn't necessarily been there before. And you know, like I said earlier, you said it in the first in the first five seconds, if, if Marvin Jones can stay healthy and Galladay can continue to. Uh, you know, raise the trajectory of his production, then I don't really see anything to worry about in this receiver room. But at, on the same note, if those things don't aren't granted, then there is a there is a depth problem on this team. I can't be relying on on Travis Fulham, the you know six round pick from Old Dominion, 
to be starting, you know, week six because Jones is injured and Tommy Lee Lewis is on the is on the pup and Brandon Powell has been dropping pa- passes in practice. You know, so I think there is a bit of a depth issue, but um, you know, a lot of teams have depth issues at receiver, and I think that when it comes to the top three guys, the Lions are definitely you know uh, above average to maybe even that good to possibly great range if Kenny Galladay can assert himself as one of the great young receivers in the league this year. And again, man, Daryl Bevel. It's coming so down think, to the schematics yeah, and the distribution yeah, and, and what Bevel's going to do uh, behind the play card this year. Yeah, and I think that, that pretty much wraps it up for the offense and that side. And the defense is kind of where things get a little more debatable, a little more saucy. Uh, and I think last year you really saw this defense take that next step once they traded for Snacks Harrison. From the Giants, I think you kind of he did wonders for this team. Even analytically, you can look at it in the, in the running game, just with the amount of yards per game they gave up before the trade for him and the yards after the trade for him. He even really impressed me as somebody because I always knew that he was just an absolute wall in terms of the run game. But he also had provided some nice pressure on that interior. I think he had two and a half to three and a half sacks with with the Lions in the second half of that season. And he was a guy who really turned around this entire defense. I really think you started to see the vision that Patricia has for this unit as a whole. And also the big change from last year was also just the linebackers blitzing more. Jared Davis had six sacks. You saw guys like Romeo Aquara and Devin Kennard get seven sacks. And these aren't dudes that are necessarily revered pass rushers, but they were still extremely effective in, in that sense. So, uh, I guess let's start on long on the defensive line where the Lions made one of the bigger splashes of, of the training camp season so far, and that was the signing of, of Mike Daniels. And maybe, Lee, I'll let you kind of get more into the football schematic uh, sense of, of the signing of Mike Daniels, but I wanted just to you know kind of repeat to the audience something that I, I read online, and that was from, I believe, from Adam Schefter, that 14 teams made contract offers to Mike Daniels, and four teams made offers that had more money involved than the Detroit Lions did. But Mike Daniels still decided to go to the Lions. And in an interview with the press, Mike Daniels said that his main reason for choosing Detroit was Matt Patricia. And while I can believe some of that to be true, I would also imagine that there's a little piece of him that also wanted to play the Packers twice in one season. But at the same time, for a guy to sacrifice money to play for the Detroit Lions, who went 6-10 and last year for a coach, who he said he wants to play for that so many people, including myself at some times, have completely ridiculed and said that he's a fool. It gives me some pause uh, uh, for sure. I'm, I don't know. And so I just thought that was a super interesting uh, thing yeah. that he said. This doesn't happen, dude. I was so surprised when I got the news that a guy yeah. like this does not sign with the Detroit Lions. And to double down and say that Patricia is a quote-unquote genius, that's not a word you just throw around, Right. This doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. Obviously, none of this is factual. None of this is based on any overwhelming evidence. But the fact that this is the case doesn't hurt at all and definitely made me feel more confident as a supporter of the Detroit Lions that a guy like Mike Daniels, who's been in the league for as long as he's been, been, has been as effective as he's been in his years in the league, playing in the NFC North, mind you, is going to turn down four offers for more money and then 10 other offers from other teams that 
probably objectively your average NFL fan would say is a better contender than the Detroit Lions for a Super Bowl. And, 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 and you know, uh, spurn all those offers to come to Detroit. He also visited it, Cleveland. It, exactly. It, it means you something, know, yeah, man. Yeah. It means something. And, you know, I think that that is – obviously, you know, you don't take that to the bank and, and, and make it your reason for, for why the Lions are a Super Bowl contender this year. But you don't brush it off, man. That's something that I feel good about. And I feel like the Lions fan base and the Lions faithful could use a little pat on the back to Patricia and a little vote of confidence from someone who isn't, you know, your uncle. Uh, you know, a guy like Mike Daniels, who obviously knows what he's talking about, calling Patricia a genius, holds some type of weight. And on, uh, in terms of on the field, this guy's a producer, man. I, obviously, the Packers parted ways with him for their own reasons, but he still has football left in him. And I think that his addition to this defensive line is going to be ultimately very helpful for this team. And like I said earlier, this doesn't happen, and I'm really excited that it did happen and that the Lions were able to bring a veteran D lineman like this in along with Trey Flowers this offseason. And once they signed Mike Daniels, I'm like going through my head, like listening all the defensive linemen that the Detroit Lions have right now. And this definitely has to be a top five to even top three mm-hmm. just unit on paper to be Tommy mm-hmm. Chalk for a second here <laughs> and just say that. And, and I even went to last year, I like Googled Lions 2018 final roster just to count how many defensive linemen they allowed onto the 53-man team, and it was seven. They allowed seven defensive linemen onto the team last year, and I go to the roster, and it says Deshaun Hand, one, Aishon Robinson, two, Mike Daniels, three, Trey Flowers, four, you have Damon Harrison, five, Romeo Quar six, and they also drafted the Clemson defensive end, Austin Bryant, in the fourth round, and that's your seventh guy. I mean... Those six dudes who have been in the league for more than one year, at the most, are B players. I would say Ashawn Robinson at this point is a great, you know, he doesn't have maybe quite the pass rush ability, but he's a B player. Deshaun Hand is a maybe B player who has a lot of upside. And Austin Bryant is a rookie, and all those other guys are, are kind of above that. And even Romeo Aquara, you could say, is a B player, but he had seven and I a half I think Romeo Aquara is, is system, talk about so. a dark horse. That guy's the, the dark horse candidate out of his D lineman. This is a guy who I think is going to pop this year. Yeah. And Clep, I kind of wanted not to interrupt you, but I wanted to have a little Ashawn corner with you. Just, just talk a little bit. Come to Ooh. a reckoning, maybe, because this is a guy that I don't think the back judge, maybe behind the off, off air, this is a guy that the Back Judge Podcast has supported with all of our hearts. This has kind of been our collective lion outside of Chuck Wash as just a dude who we love and we really identify with as a lion. And I've just been hearing rumors that he's staying home from camp because of personal reasons. He hasn't really popped off since his rookie year. And we know the talent's there. Maybe, like you said, not the pass rush, but What's going on with this guy? Where do you see Aishon in the grand scheme of like the Lions right now, like in their future and even the present? I mean, I see Aishon Robinson as, as a part of this 53-man roster for sure. Um, whether he has maybe blossomed into the player that you want him to be as that second-round pick is questionable. Jerron Reed was drafted after him, and as a whole, Jerron Reed is probably a better player than Aishon Robinson is in the NFL. But again, Jerron Reed's also suspended for six games this season. Um and that, I'm just making that comparison because they're both Alabama guys who came out of that draft. But the, the, what I've read on Aishon Robinson missing camp is that he's literally been texting with Patricia, and Patricia personally excused him from camp. So I, I don't I don't put much stock into there's anything ridiculous going on there. Uh, he he was literally a Patricia coach's ex, you know exempt. 
So in that aspect, I'm not I'm not too worried about it. And I th- I think you're right to be somewhat hesitant on whether or not his his future kind of lies with this team. I mean, bringing in a guy like Mike Daniels, having Damon Harrison there on the inside, even guys like Deshaun Hand, you can kind of kick into that three technique role uh, on the roster. But I definitely see Ashon Robinson as as a you know wonderful depth piece. I, I don't think that you want him to maybe be your starting three tech or one technique. But uh, he's definitely still a guy who just gives you relentless effort, uh, is, is a stalwart in the run game, and it hasn't quite lived up to that you know, ceiling where you're saying in the draft process, well, he doesn't have any pass-throughs, maybe he can develop some. Uh, he hasn't quite done that, but he, he's at least a man-eater kind of along the interior line, and I definitely see him making the team this year. And that was the thing, you know, last year you saw him playing deep into the fourth preseason game, but... Uh, he stuck around and, and played an important role for this team uh, last year, and I see him there again still. So Yeah, man, I'm just so, I don't know, I'm so blindly hopeful for the guy, and I've had such high expectations for him. Maybe it's me needing to kind of tamper my expectations a little bit just based on what we've seen so far, but I've just seen so much, and I know you have too, just, just instances of such potential and such pop and such spark and such... Um, you know, an ability to kind of be like a uh, a career lion and just a guy who can really get down with it and identify with the team. And I'm kind of waiting for that switch to flip. And I still believe it can flip. But with every year that goes by with with him kind of, uh, I guess, coming short on the expectations and not really reaching them, um, I get a little less hopeful. And and I'm really hoping that this year can kind of be maybe the year where he takes a little time off uh, during training camp and comes back with a clear head and, and gets after it like we all know he can. Um, but that pretty much wraps up the D line, unless you got anything else to say. No, no, I have nothing else along the defensive line, and that kind of brings us to other than this wide. This is where re- we have some fun. Yeah, other than the wide receivers, man, the <clears throat> the thinnest position group uh, on the Detroit Lions is absolutely the linebacker position, and more so not even you know I know Devon Kennard is an, is a line considered a linebacker, but he's more of a uh, on the edge type of backer where I'm more concerned about the off the ball linebackers that are on this football team. And that currently is Jared Davis, Christian Jones, Jalen Reeves, Mabin, Jelani Tavai, and Steven Longa. And even Connor's boy, Trey Lamar, the undrafted Clemson backer who couldn't cover a blade of grass, maybe more of a, a thumper meant for the sixties era of, of NFL football. But I watched the two Jelani Tavai tape that are available on YouTube against Wyoming and San Jose State. And it's just frustrating because he's a guy who Hawaii lines up all over the field. They line him up on the edge. They line him up as an off-the-ball linebacker. I saw them even on one play line him up literally as a stand-up three technique. And uh, he's just a dude who can't he, – he can rush the passer decently, and he has decent play strength. They would try, you know, on a few instances, and again, this is against Wyoming, but they would put his their tight end against him, and he would blow the tight end backwards and stuff like that. And when he would rush against a tackle, he could, you know, he could hold his own. But at the same time, he just doesn't have any coverage ability, no coverage ability. And the one he's thing, also playing against Wyoming and, and San Diego State. Yeah, and this was the Those biggest the best teams he plays against. Yeah, this was the biggest draft head scratcher that kind of I've ever even experienced as a, as a Lions fan. And uh, it is what it is, I guess. He's he's on the team, so I guess we wish him the best. But there is not one off-the-ball linebacker that I feel confident about playing pass defense on this team, and that's a huge problem. I'm, I'm going to come out and say it. I'm going to quote my big bro, Ch- Tommy Chalk. 
This is the worst linebacking unit in the league. This is the worst linebacking core in the league. You can give me any other linebacking core in the league. I take it over the Lions linebacking core. And this is where this team gets brought down to earth. And this is where I come back to the tight end conversation when Devin Bush is on the board, who is, say what you want about Devin Bush. The bottom line is, he's a dude. This is a dude. Jelani Tavai is not a dude. He's not a dude, period. Gerard Davis, we thought he was a dude. He's not a dude. The outside, ba- these guys, can you can split on the outside. You could put Gerard Davis on the, he, you could put him on the outside. I know it's not that realistic. You could do it. You've seen Giovanni Tavai, Jelani Tavai line up on the outside. I don't even want to talk about Jalen Reeves-Maven. I'm not even going to really get into that right now because I really don't think there's much there. And then you've got Devon Kennard and Christian Jones. This is a sorry group of linebackers. And I'm, I, I like to look at things from a positive way when it comes to the Lions. This is a sorry group, and this, this team is going to get – this is where the, the onus comes down on Patricia's shoulders. How much of a quote-unquote genius is this guy, uh, according to Mike Daniels? We're going to find out this year because if you can make things work with this group of linebackers, obviously they like Jelani Tavai enough to pick him with the 43rd pick in the draft. I wouldn't have done it the same way. Maybe just a quick hypothetical – I'd rather have a Devin Bush and an Irv Smith Jr. than a TJ Hawkinson and a Jelani Tavai. But this, like you said, these are the cards we were dealt. I'm going to remain optimistic about it. But if I'm trying to look at this objectively, maybe you could name one or two that are worse. This is a bottom three, bottom five linebacking core. And I think it's going to bite this team in the butt come this season a few times. And I just think that the Lions are not equipped to deal with with high-octane offenses from the linebacker position. I really don't. And I think that Gerard Davis is mainly where I point to in terms of my inability to be excited about this linebacking core because he's a guy that I think I've seen his best football. I really do. I think I've seen Gerard Davis's best football, and I think that it's not bad. I think he's definitely going to be serviceable, but he's not a dude. Like I said, he's not the guy that the Lions are going to rely on at linebacker. And Ultimately, this is the weakest position group on this team, and I, I really would like to see if you disagree with that whatsoever. No, I, I don't. I, it's absolutely the weakest position group on this team, and it, it just even comes back to the point that I said earlier is that there's not one linebacker on this team. Devon Kennard is, is almost like a defensive end. He had seven sacks last year. I don't even almost include him in this conversation because it's just yeah, like yeah. it's more of just the off-the-ball guys that I don't think can hold hold their own in pass, in pass coverage. Jared Davis in two years has not grown as a as somebody who can cover and pass in the passing game. It's just it's just flat out he can. Jalen Reeves Maben is a small backer. Maybe I, I don't even know if he can cover himself in the passing game. But at the same time, if you see him on the field, you're just gonna run straight at him because he's gonna get steamrolled by a guard going up to the next level. And I almost kind of want to bring this into the secondary talk because. Because I feel like this team, with the draft pick of Will Harris and with Quandre Diggs being a versatile safety and even guys like Miles Killebrew who haven't performed really at all or had made any impact at all on this team, but he's still on the roster. Like I feel like they almost expect their defensive backs to kind of pick up all the cover. Yeah, to yeah. pick up that slack that, that is left by the, by the linebackers, which maybe isn't ideal. But at the same time, I look at the secondary and I see really versatile players. Like a Quandre Diggs is a super versatile player. Justin Coleman is usually a nickelback, but he's been in camp practicing as a second team outside corner. You have guys like Miles Killebrew, who, as I've said earlier, haven't made a you know a noticeable impact on the field, but 
At the same time, he's a guy that was drafted in, in 2016. He's still on the roster. So they must have some sort of vision for what he can be. I even wanted to bring up a, a guy like Andrew Adams. He was a safety last year for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, he picked off Cam Newton three times in one game, had a kind of a ridiculous wow. game. And I think he kind of got lost in the shuffle of, of the, the coaching change that they had in Tampa Bay. And the Lions picked him up kind of on the cheap. And I think he can be a dude who is somewhat versatile. I don't have huge expectations for him, but at the same time, he, he's shown flashes of, of ability in this league. So I, I just kind of see this this defensive backfield as being the reason why the Lions didn't maybe draft a, a coverage linebacker because they think that guys like Justin Coleman, Quandre Diggs, Miles Kilbrew can be those coverage guys over the middle of the field. It's funny you say that because I literally was going to say the, I, it's a perfect segue. I completely agree. I think they're definitely going to maybe too heavily but rely on these these secondary players to – basically carry 90% of the burden in the pass game. And Will Harris screams versatility. 6-1, playing free safety. They played him in a couple different spots. And that's their third-round draft pick. At, yep, at BC, yep. that's the third round. And then you get Amani Oriwarwe in the fifth round. Obviously, scouts knew something about him that we didn't know. That was a guy I had ranked with a third-round grade, maybe even a late second. So I thought that was a heck of a steal. The Tracy Walker is still a guy who's brewing as a potential stud in the, in the secondary. There's a lot, like you just noted, there's a lot of dudes in this secondary. Maybe pass coverage isn't their strong suit when it comes to Killebrew or Diggs, but they're versatile. They can do it. And, oh, man, I'm really looking for Tease Tabor to take that next step because I think if he was a guy who could be an absolute consistent cornerback number two, like we all expected him to be, and he could kind of be that half-and-half half lockdown guy, this could be a real man-eating secondary, but – that's kind of what the big question mark comes down to. And it's interesting that I kind of came to that conclusion after reviewing the roster right now is that I really do think that's the case. With the lack of pass coverage they have in their linebacking core and almost maybe not the excess but the abundance of pass coverage they have in their secondary, I kind of think that it comes back down to the Patricia point where how much of a genius is he? Is he really going to make all this work? And this defense schematically I think is going to be very unique in the league next year. Yeah, I'm. I know you mentioned T's Tabor. I'm just out on him. I don't. Yeah. I, I can't put any stock into him being a number two corner. Uh, from everything I've read in camp, Rashawn Melvin, their undrafted free agent signing, or I'm not sorry, undrafted, but just free agent signing from Oakland last year, uh, is is their lead candidate for that number two corner position, which I'm not too thrilled about. Nevin Lawson, I think you just had to move on from him because he was just the epitome of mediocrity, and is just like, all right, like. Even if maybe we get something worse, I think we just had to try something new in that area of the team. And, and even another guy, too, that I didn't mention in my uh, initial analysis of this backer group is Jamal Agnew, too, a guy who was kind of injured last year. And he's he, I know he's more of a punt returner type of specialist kind of guy, but he's also a dude with a ton of speed. So maybe he can come in and, and be uh, – a specialty back in certain situations. I'm not saying he's going to be the number two corner. Kind of like a gadget, say, a gadget defensive guy in a so, way. Yeah. Something like that. I mean, I, or I just I would like to see them get back to using him, him in special ways, even on the offensive side of the ball too. But at, at the same time, you know, this defense backfield is what's going to have to carry this team in pass coverage. And I think kind of what you have to hope for as a Lions fan, as just kind of put this defense in summary, is that you have to hope that this defensive line is just an absolute unit yep yep right and, and they're just they're getting after the quarterback yeah, yeah. And, and i think and i think that's totally a fair thing to do considering the players that they have there 
And also kind of considering that your linebacker core is also a, a group that's mainly meant to get after the passer, to, to, to blitz in these specialty packages, and then that your defensive backfield, you can only drop, like, you know, say you're going to only drop, like, five or six guys into pass coverage and, and hope that that works out for you. And, and I think we'll see pretty early on, honestly, in the schedule, whether that this is something that's going to work for this team or something that's not. Let's give credit where it's due. 45, Chuck Washington, still here. Still, still on here. that roster, still making moves, still motivating, still feeding his folks. And that's what Chuck Wash has always done. And we just got to took, took an off-season trip to Bali, Indonesia. Yep. You know, you know he's got that money in the bank. All right, well, let's kick off now that we kind of reviewed the entire uh, team position by position. What we see from this team from a schedule perspective. And I had a formative schedule conversation with Charlie Brown and JP Shady, two other loyal Lions fans, that kind of helped me wrap my head around the schedule because the schedule can be such a thing where you see a game in Week 12 and you think, oh, this game's going to be super tough, but then maybe that team loses their quarterback. Maybe they're not as good as you thought they were. And that team isn't so hard uh, to maybe defeat anymore. But I wanted to start this off with, and maybe this will almost, I don't want to say you know tease or, or leak our divisional uh, opinions, but where do you see a record-wise against the division? Three home games against the Packers, Vikings, and Bears. Three away games against the Packers, Vikings, and Bears. What do you think this team's record is going to be within the division in 2019? Three and three. That's kind of where I landed around, too. Three and three. I will, you can put it in the prophecy. If the Lions win three divisional games this year, they're making the playoffs. I like that. That's where I'm at right now. I, if they can yeah. win three or more, I'm, I'm just searching for three. Just break even in the division. It's a friggin' meat grinder of a division. Break even, and you will be playing ahead of the game. I think. Yeah, so this is literally what I went through with, with Charlie, JP. And I, I said, you know, 3-3 three and three in the division, 4-2, and two, you know, absolute best-case scenario. But then you have six games this year, if you're the Lions, that in my opinion are games where I feel like roster versus roster, just in general, you should be favored in and that you should win. That's week one against the Cardinals. You got a game against the the Giants. You got a game against the Raiders. You have a game against the Redskins. You have a game against the Buccaneers. You have a game against the Broncos. Those are six games right there that I feel like you're better than those teams. I, I just in my gut, I feel like the Lions are better than those teams. As a Lions fan, you, I just can't expect them to go six and zero in those games. Some of them are on the road, you know, at Denver on December twenty second. Doesn't scream like a game that the Detroit Lions like are a lock to win. But or even you know even just going west coast to the Raiders, just like some you know some crap happening, you know. But I feel like if you want to be a team that makes the playoffs, like you were saying before, you got to be five and one in those games. And mm-hmm. and that's just where I'm kind of at. And so you have three and three in the division. You have five and one of those must win games, and that's that's twelve of the games of the season. And you have these four games, and that's the Cowboys game. You have them at home. You have the Chiefs game. You have them at home. You have the Chargers game. You have them at home, and you're at the Eagles. And, and to me, the season really just comes down to those four games. And and I think if you can split those four. But, but, you know, somehow, if you can just split Chargers, Eagles, Chiefs, Cowboys, I think this team is in the playoffs. Yeah, I think that's a great philosophy. I came at it from a little bit of a different angle, but with a kind of similar result, which was 
the first note I had in my notebook was, I think, by the way, I don't want to brush over that because I think that's a great assessment of the season. I really do. I think that if you can split the division, if you can take care of business in five of the six games you should take care of business in, then maybe overperforming in maybe one or two of the four games that they should be you know, uh, the underdog in and split into division, I think that's one way to look at it. My way of looking at it is we had a week five bye this year. Four weeks before the bye, three of the four games you noted as the underdog games are before that week five bye. You go to Arizona week one. That's a game you should win, right? I'm not going to get into the whole semantics of predicting. Then you are home to the Chargers at Philly, home to the Chiefs. That's our game. Bye, right? The first four weeks of the season are pivotal to me. Because if you, maybe you go to Arizona and crush them and then you lose three in a row. If you start the season and you're going into your bye one and three, that is less than opportune. I think at the, the floor for this team at the week five bye should be two wins. And then I have it underlined six times here and I brought it up in the, in the Bevel and Stafford conversation. Winning football games on the road. Being able to go to Arizona and win that game. What'd you, what'd you name? You named Arizona, the, the Giants, the Raiders, the Skins, the Buccaneers, the Broncos. Giants and Buccaneers are home. That means the other four games are all on the road. And like you said, you're going to Arizona. That's on the West Coast. You're going to Oakland. That's on the West Coast. At Washington, put it. it's a wrap on it for me. Put a bow on that one for me. Because if you don't win that game, you're not playoff built. And then, obviously, December in Denver won't be easy. But if you are able to, if Stafford is able to keep that, that dome consistency on the road, I think this team really can achieve a lot this year. And I don't think I'm being unrealistic about it. I really do think with the roster we've gone over and the way the schedule's looking, if you can kind of save face, let's say, in the first four weeks and go two and two, steal a game at Philly, and I wouldn't call it stealing because you're at home, but win one of those two against the Chargers and the Chiefs. I think the Chargers would probably be the easier one, but you already know I'm picking the Lions in that Chiefs game because we're going to be there in-house 4.30 a.m. wake-up call, all right? If you can save face in those first four weeks and then kind of write, write the ship the rest of the year where, fine, maybe you lose Monday night in Green Bay, but you make up for it week 17 with a home win, which is something the Lions have had a lot of trouble doing. And fine, maybe you lose at Chicago week 10, but you make up for it on you know Thanksgiving, Thursday night football. And, you know, the Vikings are going to be a tough ask, but I don't think it's too much with two Dome teams to be able to split that either. I think we're looking at a team that is really in the mix. We're looking at a team that's really in the mix. And, you know, that's basically the way I looked at it. But I definitely understand your, your, your viewpoint too. For, for me, even saying the 4-2 and two in the division is saying that the Vikings-Dome team, like you said, split. The, the Bears, I prophesied that Mitch Trubisky would never win a game at Ford Field, so there's a split. And I think if the Packers are in the gutter, like I prophesied them also to be, obviously there's a lot of moving parts of this, but I really believe that the Packers could be a team that you just beat. And I will say, Clep, just to get a little excited about it, the Packers play the Lions week six. I know it's at home and it's Monday Night Football in Lambeau, but... Off the bye, though. And, and, and Lions are off the bye, mind you. Week one, the Packers are at Chicago. Week two, the Packers play the Vikings. Fine, they got an easy one against Denver week three. Then they turn around on a short week and play Philly Thursday night. Then they're at Dallas. 
could be one nine. and three. Could be could it be one and four. This is this is kind of a team where you could ultimately stick the dagger in the heart of the Green Bay Packers with a Week Six win on Monday Night Football at Lambeau. That could be Lafleur's last last day of being taken as a legitimate person in the world. That would be exciting. <laughs> that and would be very. Why don't exciting. we? That would be exciting. So, so why don't let me just do this? Just do this to to kind of end the show here. Why don't we uh, give our division predictions, and then maybe preview the the happenings that it's going to be week four. Yep, I, I would love nothing more. Um, I'm going to go uh, ahead. So, just I'm just letting you know since I'm uh, since we've you know spent a lot of time on this podcast, I'm going to give some record predictions too, just for just for you know, just for shoots. I'm going to go ahead and throw a record out with each team. Um, Fair enough. I'll do the same. I'll start this one off, Clep, because you know you're a little you're a little bit more invested in the Lions here. I'm going to give you a little more time to brew over it. Uh, but I'm going to let you have it here. All right. Vikings twelve and four, Lions ten and six, Bears eight and eight, Packers six and ten. That's the way I see this Ooh. division. And I think that we are literally we're literally in lockstep, and nothing nothing yeah. makes me happier. <laughs> And uh, I, I put the Vikings first just because I think that last year, we mentioned this in the NFC North podcast, that they're coming off a rough season. And uh, I think that they're going to really have a bounce back year. I think all of their position groups are, are pretty pretty tight. Um, and I think I, I'm, I'm, put, <laughs> I'm putting the Lions at 10 and 6, man. I'm putting the Lions at 10 and 6. I, think, I really think that this can happen for this team, and I really think a 5 or a 6 seed is in reach for this team, and I think a wild card playoff victory round like, would, be, would be a huge thing for this season, and that's honestly what I expect from this team this year is a playoff win in the wild card round, and I think that's where the expectations should be set at, and I think that's what, as a fan, we should all expect. And so I think the Bears are set for a setback. I think they're going to be about 8-8, eight and eight, maybe even 9-7. and seven. They're a good team. I just don't think with Trubisky. I think Stafford is head and shoulders above the quarterback that Mitch Trubisky is. And then, like I said, I think the Packers are going to be right in the gutter, maybe even 5-11, and 11, man. I, I think that this could be a really, really bad season for them, and maybe we'll look like idiots. Maybe we'll look like idiots, maybe, but that's what the back judges for. Maybe I've got too much Downingtown product in my system right now, but the fact, but the fact that we're in lockstep about this division, it kind of makes me feel like... Well, and, and let's not discount... Let's not discount week three, the energy yep. that was felt. I went over to Aiden Crehan when he was yep. grilling his chicken tenders, yeah. and I turned off the burner. Yeah. And, and, and it was felt through he the house, scared. ripples of energy. He was scared when, when we entered the house. There was an energy that I have yet seen to be matched in any capacity of my life whatsoever. It, it may come back. It may not. But I just want to, you know, I want to give a little bit of a disposition here. You know, I'm not from Detroit. I wasn't born and bred, okay? I don't bleed blue, per se. I'm just someone who's an advocate. I'm someone who's a voice. I'm someone who cares. I don't try to, to pose as some diehard like Shady. I'm coming at you, Shady, because first it was the Giants, then it was the Steelers, and now it's the Lions, and I don't want to hear about it. I'm not posing as anyone that I'm, that, that I'm trying to be this big, grand fan. I'm an objective voice, okay? And between Mitch Trubisky's shortcomings as a quarterback – and Matt LaFleur's shortcomings as a coach, and ultimately I'll cite the, the Adam Klepp overnight bus article for the Packers organizationally taking a step back this year. I think this is the year that the Lions elevate. And we're going to find out in the first four weeks. We're going to find out on the road. 
We're going to find out in the divisional games. And, but this is a year where obviously the division is going to be tough. No win will be easy. It's the NFL. But this is a team that I believe in. I believe in this team. Outside of the linebacking room, where, where it's a bottom five group in the league, this is a team that's going to compete, man. And I think that I, I like to cite me and Tommy were having arguments last year about Matt Patricia and his legitimacy as a head coach when the Lions were, you know, five and eight or whatever it was, five and nine, not looking good. He was saying next year is going to be his last year. He'll be a two and done. And I was arguing against him. And then I found myself a couple weeks ago thinking the Lions were going to win six or seven games. I'm thinking to myself, where, where's this disbelief coming from, man? Like, where'd the hope go? This is still a team that has a solid quarterback that can play to, play to an elite level occasionally, has a new offensive coordinator who's won a Super Bowl, has two receivers that are either in their prime or growing into be their prime that have both have 1,000 yards receiving in their careers and both are hungry for more. By that, I mean still in their prime. They're not, it's not like they're on the, the back nine. They've got a new and improved running back group on offense. Their offensive line has legitimately been chiseled to the satisfaction of the brass. Like, outside of the right guard position and the question marks there, which aren't even really scary, it's more of just a competition thing, there's really nothing to be worried about on the offensive line outside of injury, which is always something to worry about. The defensive line, like we've noted, is... If you want to be shy about it, a top seven unit in the league. If you want to be bold about it, a top three unit in the league. I've already said their linebackers have been underwhelming, but let's combine the linebackers and secondary together and say that this is a middle of the pack to maybe above average secondary linebackers unit with a coach that's been described as a genius by Mike Daniels for whatever that's worth. And I'm taking that to the bank, man. I'm taking that to the bank this year, and I'm and I think that we saw 9 and 7 in 2016 in frustration. We saw 9 and 7 in 2017 in frustration. And then we saw Patricia's first year and we saw flaws last year. And this is really going to be it. This is Patricia's job job on the line. This is Bevel's comeback on the line. This is Stafford's job on the line. And this is the Lions' legitimacy as a contender in the NFC North on the line. And I'm putting my chips in the center and saying Show me these first four weeks when I'm waking up at four in the morning to go tailgate outside of Ford Field for the Kansas City game week four. I want to have at least two wins. I want two wins. And if that's too much to ask for, then I want a different coach and I want a different quarterback because it's not working. And that's basically my disposition that I've given and, and, and take with that what you will. And I think that's completely fair. And, uh, I cannot wait to to have that alarm sound at four fifteen, four thirty in the morning. Drive that spaceship. I might not sleep. Drive that spaceship with twenty pounds of of ground beef in the back. Shotgun. <laughs> Murray's always got shotgun in the rutan. We're gonna have a, have a few brews in the back seat, of course. None will be consumed until we are parked at the Harbor House parking lot. But it, it's gonna be a heck of a day. We responsible. We are responsible, and we're gonna have fourteen fourteen sea homeboys. 14 Lions boys, okay? And you yeah. know what? Nothing will ever match the week three energy that was, that was felt in, in the Bosworth apartment in, in week three of 2018. But I'll tell you what, man. 
there's going to be that DTE energy meter when they show that on that Lions Ford Field yep. scoreboard. It's going to be breaking. They're going to break that meter yep. when them boys are in the 300 <laughs> section yelling their tails off. That's what's going to happen. Okay? And, I, and nothing has me more excited than this Lions season. Lee, you got me fired up with that monologue. I love to hear someone who is yep. not as dearly attached to this team feel the same sentiments that I do. And I mean, I've gone through my throws. You yeah, know? and you know, I'll be damned if you find a more thorough Lions preview than you find in this podcast on the yep. internet anywhere. Send it to us. Nightmares, yeah, boy. Send it to us. Nightmares. Send it to us. Nightmares. You are, are we about ready for the Dolan Collin? I think we're about ready. Down? Why don't we, why don't we try and get him on the horn here? Colin. Famously, last year, Dolan predicted that the Lions would win both games against fully guaranteed cousins. So hopefully we get a few <laughs> few better takes this year. Do you, are you going to try and get him on the horn, he Lee? He said 12 and 4. He said 12 and 4. <laughs> he literally <laughs> predicted double the amount of wins that the Lions got. No, you, you want to try and call him up here? Uh, yeah. yeah, I can I can try to get All it right, wonderful. Board. Let's see. Obviously, excuse the uh, the pause here. No, trying to get no one will be that. The the one thing I'll, I'll say to fill in some space, man. I watched the Lions Bengals highlights from the 2017 season. What a rough game. What what a rough game that was. The past has been, <laughs> it's been rough, man. Like I like we noted, it's been rough and. If they don't execute in the window they have right now, then, like I said, there's not a lot of hope left. <laughs> there's only so much hope you can live off of. And this year is, we all understand it's a big year, you know, so. Yo, Jay Dilla. Yo, what's going on? It, this is all the right. official Lions calling. All right. You're, you're, you're we welcome to the show. <laughs> we got Dolan on the line here. Uh, Dolan, we're wrapping up our Lions preview here. To be quite honest, I just I just want to hear you let it loose right now. I'm going to put you up to the speaker in about 15 seconds. Obviously, no pressure. I just want to try to hear a little rundown right now of how you're feeling about the Lions in this upcoming year. We're going to get ready to release this preview. And, you know, we, we obviously we love you, brother. We're, we're glad to have you on the show. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to hear some of these, some of these takes. Um, so, Dolan, uh, we got a tough first four weeks before the bye. Klepp and I were kind of talking about how those first four weeks are going to be pivotal. Splitting the division is going to be pivotal. And maybe winning a couple of the games we're obviously going to be underdogs in, like at Philly, home to the Chiefs, home to Dallas. Oh, Dolan. <laughs> <laughs> <We> got- <laughs> it's that Boyne Mountain reception. That, that, that Boyne Mountain He's had a few too many too hard. He confused the end button with the speaker button. We'll get him back on the horn. Don't worry. We'll, we'll get Dolan back on the horn. Let's see what we got here. <laughs> this is why you come listen to the back end, baby. All right, here he is. All right, Dolan. We've been patiently waiting to hear the analysis. I was just trying to give you a little bit of a segue by saying, Clep and I were breaking down the schedule and saying, you know, Klepp was saying mostly splitting the division, going three and three in the division, mm-hmm. going uh, five and one in the six games that we're expected to win. By that he means Arizona, the Giants, the Raiders, the Redskins, the Buccaneers, and the Broncos, and then winning one or two of the four games we're expected to lose. By that he means the Chargers, the Eagles, the Chiefs, and the Cowboys. I kind of just wanted to get a overall, you know, where you're at 
mentally, what the record prediction is, and how you really see this Lions team shaping up for the upcoming season. Mm-hmm. Of course, and uh, it's great to be back on with you boys. Uh, looking forward to getting back to it with the season starting up. Absolutely. Once you got those, you know, 25 or so straight weeks of just high-intensity football games, you know, there's nothing like it. So we got the best time of the year coming up. Yes, sir. Um, so going, going with my thoughts about the team, something, something that I really like you said is uh, splitting the division. I think that's something that's going to be a key. But, you know, it's tough uh, as a Lions fan and kind of like attacking this time of the year because as I am as a Lions fan, and you guys know this, it's kind of been a vice of mine in the past. But, you know, I I tend to err on the uh, optimistic side of Lions fans and um, kind of towards this time of the year is always getting, you know, super excited. You know, it seems like the team's coming around more than normal. But uh, after last year, I'm a little bit more cautious about I, I do like the things I've seen, um, you know, reports from camp, Hawkinson playing well, um, the, the defense is obviously very improved, so everything on paper, you know, sounds great, but at the same time, like, this is still the Lions we're talking about, and it's just, you know, my history with this team is just sort of what's causing me to be cautious, so I don't want to come on here uh, with any crazy takes or, you know, something like last year, where I was just like, win, 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 you know, Vikings suck. Um, so like my, uh, the very, you know, probably the most mild prophecy I have, uh, and maybe ever been said in the history of the show, but my expectations for the Lions this year is, you know, I just want to start with a realistic goal. And my prophecy for the Lions this year is I, I'd love for us to get, uh, one win against each division team. I'd like to see, you know, at least go three and three in the division, like you guys were talking about. Um, but if we can get a win over the Bears, get a win over the Packers, and a win over the Vikings, I think that's going to be huge for the team, especially because when I've been looking at the NFC North, I, it's going to be a bloodbath and it's going to be competitive, but I don't necessarily know if any of these teams are going to, you know, if I don't think we're going to see another 12-4 and four team win the division like the Bears last year. I think it could be, you know, 10-6 and six is going to win the division. You know, maybe even nine and seven could win it. We could see a nine and seven team make a wild card and ten and six team win the division. So I think that you know, if the Lions want to succeed, we have to you know start with small goals and goals that winning teams always fulfill, and that includes winning in the division. These are our biggest rivals, and you know I get the most excited for division games, and I think we need to. As great as it is to, you know, sweep the Packers pretty much every year now, but we need to start getting those wins against the Vikings. Uh, we've historically been struggling against, uh, especially last year, that 10-sack that game uh, in Minnesota, I think, is that's when I was like, this season is a wash, you know, this isn't what we thought we were going to be. And now uh, that Chicago is kind of a Titan, we need to get a win against them too. So I just like to see a win against every division team. And then I think come December or so, if we're still in the hunts and we have wins uh, under our belt in the division, uh, we could squeak into the playoffs. That would be my realistic, you know, goals for this season. Okay, I have two questions for Dolan. Okay, so so the the first one is that Lee and I have kind of set the expectations for this team uh, at appearing in the playoffs and, and winning a playoff game, whether it be wild card, whether they do win the division that's at home. That's really what I want to see from this, this season is that this team wins a playoff game. So what does he kind of think about that as the bar for the season? Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, there's really, with, with the talent we have on paper, when you're just looking around at the roster and, you know, guys who, um, especially now that we have a new offensive coordinator, uh, no more of the JBC uh, 
show, which was terrible. The screen passes all the time. But um, on paper, there are a lot of guys on the roster who have proven to be successful um, in the league. And there's really no excuse for not winning, you know, at least nine games with this team because mm-hmm. uh, how, how much more talent are the Lions really going to pick up than this team? And uh, getting to the playoffs, because, uh, like, as a Lions fan, it's just tough for me to ex- – I, I don't necessarily expect that. If we get to the playoffs, I'll consider this a very successful season. I'll look forward to another year of Patricia. Um, if we win a playoff game, uh, I, that would do – wonders for the franchise i've seen some good lions teams you know we, we've had some good teams the 2014 team sticks out to me the 2011 team you know when stafford threw for 5,000 yards and megatron had eight touchdowns through the first four games that was you know when we started five and oh two um that was probably the most excited i've been while watching um lions games uh 2016 even uh, when stafford went on that insane streak of comeback wins we had good teams in all of those years, and we made the playoffs. And had we won one of those playoff games in either 11, 14, or 16, that would have gone a long way for, you know, sort of legitimizing the Lions. Because, you know, no matter how good we sometimes look in the regular season, when we've gotten to the playoffs, you know, sometimes it's, we're just not the better team, like New Orleans and Seattle. And, then, you know, sometimes some, like a, the hand of God will come down and save his favorite son, Jerry Jones, like in that Dallas game. Yeah. So I, 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 can't, I, I can't say the expectation there is to win the playoff, uh, playoff game. I, I don't really have that expectation for the team. Um, I said there's there's a good chance they could prove me wrong. I'm sort of expecting us to be in that um, you know eight to nine win range. Mm-hmm. Um, be in the mix, and I, I could agree with you guys on hopefully getting that playoff berth. Um, but you know, I'm not so sure about a win. And the thing that's kind of screwed us when we've gotten to the playoffs is we can never win the division. You know, even even in a year uh, in 2011 when we went ten and six and had one of the best, like probably the best year. Uh, of this century so far um back then that was the year the packers went 15 and 1 and stafford was at, or at rogers was mvp and 2014 again we go 11 and 5 that's normally going to win the division but no packers were great that year so they got home field advantage and, and getting um for us to win a playoff game we're gonna really have to win the division i think then squeaking but i in the wild card because that's the route we've taken so far this decade and it Obviously, has not worked. So, so second question is that uh, Lee Marie and myself have both co-signed on my prophecy that Mitch Trubisky will never win a game at Ford Field. John Dolan, are you willing to put your name uh, on that prophecy on the backjudge dot com? <laughs> yes. Is this going to come back to bite me in the ass and are the Bears going to dominate the Lions probably for the next few years? Yes. But said I one hundred percent co-sign this prophecy. I cannot Spoken like a true Lions fan. If you guys are hating on Mitch Trubisky, you know I'm gonna join in. The guy just isn't cut out for the league and as a passer, you know, he's, he's kind of like the worst Josh Allen. Yep. He's, kinda, he's got the running. He sort of has some arm strength, but not nowhere near close to Josh Allen. And they both share the same accuracy, too. So, yeah, I, I'm 100% going to co-sign on that. Josh uh, Allen is uh, Mitch Trubisky with a sack. And, you know, the 
Trubisky had probably the best year he's going to have is in, in during his entire career last year. Yep. Um, most of that came uh, in one game. Might add Tampa Bay, like they screwed everything up. Um, but uh, he had the best year he's ever going to have in his career last year, and it was still worse than Stafford's pathetic uh, throwing to Andy Jones and Brandon Powell all season, broken back. 3,700 passing yard season. It was still worse than that. So I'm going to co-sign that any day. And I don't care if the Bears can smack us anyway. I'm going to co-sign it just so I can hate on Trubisky because he is not the right guy as quarterback there. I know it sucks for Bears fans. I've said this before. The Lions, when we took Matt Stafford, our other options were Mark Sanchez, Josh Freeman, and Pat White. It's safe to say we made the right pick. The other options for the Bears... One guy's already won an MVP, and I strongly believe that Deshaun Watson will be an MVP yep. before he retires, too. Yep. So that's just something that Bears fans need to live with. And yeah. I'm obviously going to be biased and about that team because they're a division rival. They're a great team. They run the ball well. Um, they've surrounded Trubisky with good playmakers like Taylor Gabriel and Allen Robinson who kind of make his job easier. The defense, you know, I don't need to say anything about them. Everyone knows how good their defense is. But the one part of the Chicago Bears, besides kicker, obviously, that they're not good at, and I don't think that they're elite at, is the quarterback position. So, yep. yeah, I, I got to hate on Trubisky, and I, I love that prophecy. That's amazing. Yep. Well, Dolan, that's why we love you, man, and we're really glad to be able to, to – get a hold of you for this Lions podcast. And, dude, I think Clay Travis tweeted it. Like, after next week, we are going to be having football every week until the third week of February. So This is it, man. Even, like, I'm getting excited for the Hall of Fame game. Yep. I'm always like, oh, my God, like, there's football on. Then you watch the first series, you're like, this is sweet. And then the fourth-string practice squad guys come in, you're like, oh, it's still preseason. But I think it's going to be really interesting for us to, especially uh, some French roster Lions guys. And, oh, yeah. You know, it's, like, it's a young team, all those new draft picks uh, to come in. And, like, that'll be a good time to sort of pinpoint guys who, and not look for, you know, over like overall performances, guys are going to make mistakes, but just those flashes of, you know, dudes who can become full-time NFL starters. I can't Jeez, wait. Billingsley. And, I, yeah, I'll uh, always be down to chop it up with you boys about the NFL, especially the Lions. I uh, like to, before I... Uh, get off I guess you know th- this team really it falls completely on the shoulders of the two highest paid players for me and it falls on Matt Stafford and it falls on Trey Flowers mm-hmm. um, Stafford I, I, up until this past year I was you know maybe the, one of the biggest Stafford fans you know and defenders that exists you know I I've ever, he's been, ever since that Cleveland Browns game when he came back as a rookie and, you know, we, we won our only second game of that year, and he won it on a separated shoulder. I said, this guy's a gamer, and he had a 5,000-yard year. He's been efficient every year of his career. He's set all the Lions passing records. He was a great quarterback, and he was someone who I thought was one of the most underrated players in the league. And then this past year, you know, I can't defend him. He laid an egg. Mm-hmm. He was terrible. Yep. But uh, now that we have uh, seasons, you know, Super Bowl winning offensive coordinator who came in and replaced someone who really didn't know what was going on and kind of had their work cut out for him from the start. Someone who sort of Jim Bob Cooter captured lightning in a bottle in 2014 and sort of parlayed that into a career. Yep. Um, I think that if Stafford is fully healthy, his back's healed, and if he can get that pre-2018 form, 
then what's going to stop the Lions? Because for a while, uh, we were a team with just us. You know, quarterback was the only position we were really solid in, and he was kind of having to carry teams to wins. Now we're solid in a bunch of other positions, and it's kind of like quarterback is in question. So Stafford, you know, he's only he's still only 31. He's got a lot of years left in his prime if his body will hold up. And I just need him to get back to that gunslinging Stafford uh, style. Because he was, he was known for his rocket arm. He was known for taking chances. And then this past year, you know, it was just short passes and all that. So if he comes back, is uh, you know, Stafford of old form, I really like our chances. And then Trey Flowers is just five years, $90 million. He has to go out there and, you know, get double-digit sacks and lead the defense even more so than on-the-field stuff. He kind of needs to show everyone what it's like to be on a winning team. He has that pedigree, multi-time Super Bowl champion, um, and sort of, like, make this team his own. He's uh, Every billboard I drive by, they got Trey Flowers and Matthew Stafford on there. Mm-hmm. This was a huge signing for us, and um, those two guys are, without question, um, the most important players on the team. Trisha, like, he's a, he's a really... It's really easy to scrutinize him because of how you know unorthodox even his background is, and just kind of as he is as a football coach and the way he deals with things. So when you're not winning, um, he's going to get piled on by the media, especially with how he treats them. I'm definitely not ready to uh, sail on the Patricia ship just yet. You know, yeah. we only had one year, and I'm looking forward to see what he does this year. But if um, at least eight wins, nine wins, or a playoff berth. Um, isn't the result of this year, or I'd say even anything but a playoff berth is mm-hmm. the result of this year. I think we could see a new regime in town, whether yeah. it's Quinn, whether it's Patricia. I don't know, but I hope we don't have to get to that because you know it gets frustrating having to restart with your team every single year. So I'm really got a lot. I got some hope with this Patricia regime, um, and I hope that uh, this year uh, we can continue moving forward with him and he proves himself this year. Absolutely. And one last request from Adam Klepp is that you sing a duet of Gridiron Heroes with him on air. Forward down the field, a charging team that will not yield. And when the blue and silver wave, stand and cheer the brave. Rock, 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 go hard, win the game. With honor you will keep your fame. Down the field we gain. Alliance Victory! Go! Go! That was a beautiful, a beautiful rendition. That was beautiful. That was absolute electricity. Oh my God. And to wrap this whole podcast up, John Dolan, me and that boy Adam Klepp will be waking up at 4 a.m. on September 29th, 2019 make our way down to Ford Field parking lot at around 5 a.m., and we're going to start getting after it for that Kansas Kansas City Chiefs game week four, baby. Mahomes coming to town. He's going to be running from Snacks. He's going to be running from Mike Daniels. He's going to be running from Trey Flowers. Eric Fisher is going to have his work cut out for him that week. Wouldn't want to be the man. Yep. Well, Dolan, it's great hearing your voice, brother. And like I said earlier, can't wait to be doing some hardcore analysis on a weekly basis with this upcoming season, man. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Let's get back at it soon. This is great. Without a doubt, brother. Good hearing from you. Go yeah, Lions, take, baby. Yep, go Lions. Take care, boys. Miss Murray, I'm on about an hour 42 on my, on my timer. This is Joe Rogan territory, man. We, I was going to say, we're some long-form dudes. We're, we're some long-form, long-form dudes, man. Form dudes. Uh, this, is, this has been an absolute pleasure. 
Uh, I think it's our best Lions preview to date. Yeah. Uh, and uh, like It'll I said be before, every year. S- send us anything that you think is is a better holistic preview than this one because I don't think you'll find it. Um. Peace, brothers. <laughs> hey, hey, any fans? I'll see you in the Harbor House parking lot, 5 yep. a.m. September yep. 29th. We'll, we'll see be you there. there.